Hello and welcome to the Swim Brief. I am Chris DeSantis and I am joined, as I usually am, by Joel Rawlings, a somewhat under the weather Joel Rawlings. So for those of you who like hearing Joel on the podcast, uh, I got bad news. It's going to be less Joel than ever on this one. But for those of you who love hearing me, there's going to be great news because there's going to be even more of me talking. This well, it's it's got it's short. got your it's got your name on the podcast, so I'm assuming that's what they came for. Yeah, <laughs> I guess you must you must at least tolerate me um, if you're listening to this and um, or hate. I, I got a feeling it's either direction. I got a few hate listeners. There's probably just like this idiot. What's he going to say next? <laughs> and they like to like listen and then get angry and yeah. text their friends. Like, can you believe he said that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you believe it? So I was a listen. So it matters. Um, well, you know, as as fate would have it, I was getting some really good feedback on the podcast just just yesterday. And one Wait, of those pieces, what, what did your mom have to say? <laughs> um, the the good piece of feedback that I got was that. You asking questions like you are you are this amazing proxy for the audience, Joel. And <laughs> okay. then so I so we, you and I have this full conversation about it, and then uh, it, we're coming up to maybe ninety minutes out from this podcast, and you text me like, "My voice is totally gone. I, I can't do it today. Yeah, I can't yeah. do it today." And I, I've just you know I have just at the front of my mind that like. Joel is the essential ingredient that makes this podcast work. Like, what am I going to do without him? So we're going to, we're going to test the limits of that, you know? All right. Um, uh, you're going to, but, but, but I think, you know, in order to spare your voice a little bit, um, you're going to be probably uh, asking more questions than, than talking. And I'm going to be responding to some of it and let's, let's get to the topic. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about longevity in the sport of swimming. One of the things that we have referenced on here a number of times is that we're both still competing in the sport of swimming. I say still, um, because I think it's, you know, I think it's pretty rare, um, for people, you know, anybody that starts a sport to still be competing in it as an adult. It's certainly rare for them to be competing in a sport, as an adult that um, gets married, has kids like we do, um, you know, moves through these various stages of life. And um, I guess the reason why I want to make the topic longevity is we also, you know, throw in that term here, burnout at the same time. And I think it's something that gets thrown a lot in, in sports circles. And certainly that's, I think that's going to be looming over this conversation, but the idea of, of, of basing it around longevity is to have like a more positive facing conversation. I don't, I don't, I have certainly can empathize with anybody that has at some stage of their life quit the sport of swimming. Actually, if I look back, um, it hasn't been a continuous 30 years for me since I started, right. There's been several moments where um, I just wasn't, swimming. I wasn't interested in swimming. I definitely wasn't interested in competing in swimming, 
And um, I actually don't know about you. I don't know whether you've had some of those periods as well, but I can guess that that maybe you have. Um, and if you haven't, then it's important to have a conversation around what has kept you, you know, uh, showing up to the pool, putting in laps um, a lot longer than than most people typically stick around in any sport. And in our case, we're talking specifically about the sport of of swimming. So I guess I'll start there. I mean, Joel, I know you, like, for instance, uh, people who listen to the pod will know that um, you've got some open water stuff going on. Um, what has been the ebb and flow of, of you swimming-wise? Yeah, I think um, I, when you mentioned this topic, I was really interested in that because I've, I've worked with a lot of people where – you know, they're Division One athletes that are like, that's it. They, they have not set foot in the water ever again. And I, I see in Masters now, like, uh, you know, some of the Olympians are starting to come back at 50 in, in swimming. And there's a few out here, too, that do that. And for me, I, I think part of it was, like, um, for, for me, when I was coaching, I, I had the classic small-town team of we always had three boys and never a fourth for a relay. So I started to do it again just because we needed a relay, you know, to, 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 to fill it out. And just started to kind of like it again, where all of a sudden it became, uh, instead of like the grind of, you know, you had to be there three, four hours every day, you know, for doubles or two hours or whatever. It was like, yeah, come in and go, come in and go, you know, you do weights, you you swim, but it was more around when you wanted to go. And so I I like that because again, when usually as a swimmer, it meant I was bad at all the other sports. So I was able to kind of just start doing that to get in shape. But it was one of those things that, that you started realizing the things that, that I'd missed for, for me getting back into it. So it was kind of like one of those things I jumped in it without it being missing it so much as just kind of a need. We needed a fourth person. And then as I was doing it, I started to kind of realize the things that I, I missed, you know, the, the weird things were like, just kind of missed that, that somewhat tired feeling, which it, somehow I kind of correlated with being athletic, you know, or, where like, if you're, if you're like a little bit tired, a little bit sore, it means you still have muscle actually. And that if that muscle's sore, then you've been doing something with it and you started feeling good about it and, and the things in that. So I think for me, what helped was kind of not being forced in it, but kind of backdooring back into swimming and then realizing those, those things that I didn't even realize I was missing and starting to focus on those rather than Again, like when you're swimming, you know, at a college team or whatever, you're like, I have to go to practice. And I was like, I don't have to, but but I'm going to go anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it what you what you said there really makes me think about the sort of like reasons why somebody might say that they really enjoy the sport at various stages of engaging in it. And I tell a story all the time when I'm out talking to teams about when I started swimming and, 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 and my mom, and it's, it's like a heartwarming story, but it, you know, if I tell like two steps down the line, there, there was a, there was a, a fork in the road that came from that. So when I, when I started swimming, I was nine years old. Um, my memory was that I was the worst kid on my team and the worst, you know, uh, last place at most of the swim meets that I uh, swam in. I did not have that experience of showing up and, you know, like beating other people and realizing, Ooh, I've got a, you know, I've got a talent for this. Um, I was somebody who was bad in other sports contexts. And when I started swimming, I I was pretty sure I was bad too. And I got to the end of um, a whole year of swimming. And I told my mom, you know, some version of like, Hey, this is embarrassing. 
Like I don't, I don't enjoy competing in this sport, showing up, getting, you know, getting my butt whooped by these other kids and can't, can I just quit? And as I recall it, you know, like she had a little flip book um, that, you know, had like slots for different events and you could write in times for meets as you went. And she'd been to all my meets for the entire year. And, you know, if like I swam the 50 free, you know, I think probably the first time I swam it, I was well over a minute, you know, like she wrote in 104, right? And then if I went to the next meet and I went 101, she wrote it. She had the whole year recorded in there. And she said to me, she said, like, you do whatever you want, but look at this book first. I want you to see where you started, just see where you are now, and then decide if you want to quit. And I looked at the book, and I realized that even though I still thought I was terrible at the sport, that I that I'd progressed a lot. And I think this is a, this is a mental challenge for a lot of people um, in anything that you do is your brain doesn't do a good job of tracking progress, Like that takes work and some, some activity, you know, your brain will just go like, you weren't good enough today, today, you know, like it doesn't really do the math that, you know, if, uh, if you were going in and bench pressing, uh, a year ago, you know, 12 reps, a hundred pounds. And now, you know, to, in order to tax yourself as much as you can, um, you, you, you can do 12 reps, 145 pounds. But if you go show up and do 140 pounds, you're like, I was weak today. Instead of thinking I'm 40% stronger than I was a year ago. Right. It, it, it does your, your brain plays that, um, trick on you. And just being able to see the progress, I think, was what got me to keep going. Um, and I faced a similar juncture at the end of the next year. And then, like, the improvement and the progress itself became so intoxicating that I fell head over heels for the sport of swimming because I thought, this is awesome. You know, I go there, I work hard, I get that tired feeling in my body, right? Um, I do what the coach says, and then I can see it. I can see that I'm improving and I'm on my way. I'm improving so quickly that the gap between me and the people that I think is good is narrowing, 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 even to the extent where like, oh, I can beat somebody else that I think is good. And I think a lot of swimmers, this is what hooks them in initially to the sport. Like they love showing up to a meet and they love going to best time. And they love that feeling of like, hey, this is this is a hard sport. This is these practices are tough but I am making progress. I'm getting better. I can see it. And, um, but I think when that becomes all you appreciate about the sport of swimming, then when most swimmers reach the stage that we all inevitably reach, which is the one where you don't show up to the meet every single week and just hang a best time up on the wall, you can start to think like, well, what is this? This isn't what I, this isn't what I love, right? I don't love waking up at 6 a.m. Um, or 5 a.m. three days a week and, um, uh, you know, like not being able to sleep on my side because my shoulder hurts too much mm-hmm. and not feeling like it's heading anywhere. Yeah, I think and, it, you're right. Yeah, it kind of go goes to the idea of the, like, you know, we're, we're at the motivation level. And as you're talking about that, I'm thinking uh, like, 
you know, applying this for, for like, if, if you're coaching like the swimmers you have or, or the swimmers you're about to get of your college or whatever it is, is, is I wonder how much of it is that first experience that they have in swimming, whether, you know, where they first show up at the pool for whatever tryout it is or, or whatever kind of enticed them in or for swim lessons or whatever, kind of like if, if that becomes like the pathway that they're going to go down, you know, obviously there's lots of opportunities to keep on splicing off that pathway. But the idea again, where someone comes in and they're just really athletic and they win kind of the, the, the money ball aspect where it's like someone just goes and they win and they really don't know how they won. They, they just know, man, this is, this is pretty easy. I'm good. No, I'm, yeah. I'm good. And, and usually you can kind of keep on doing that. And that's what we've always seen are those kids that burn out a little bit early or leave the sport a little bit early. The, the idea of having, um, I don't know what you want to call it. This is, this is your realm. Um, that, that resilience to kind of always be able to, um, reinvent themselves in a sense where, where again, like I looked at my, my experience also in swimming, what was not the, you know, I'm going to hop in, I'm going to win. It was like, you know, this is a sport where I felt accepted in. And then I'm like, I'm going to start at the bottom of the ladder, work my way up. And for whatever reason, I don't know if I put that idea into it later on down the road, eight years after I started, whatever. But the idea again, your freshman year, you start out your JV, you work your way up and eventually you become varsity. Then you go back to the bottom of the, the ladder in college and kind of work your way up to the top. So the idea that it's always like a ladder or a stair step that you're moving up and it's always that intrinsic, like I'm kind of chasing something versus the, you know, this is something that I'm going to get ribbons out of. This is something I'm going to get accolades out of. This is something I'm going to get whatever out of. And I think that kind of a mindset of the, I can, I can accomplish this if I just do X, Y, and Z. And that's why I always liked about swimming was I felt like if I do exactly what's on the, on the board that's been written out, if I do it like I was asked to do, and I'd maybe even put a little extra effort in, I will be successful. And so it, it, it felt to me like in a sense, like it's kind of a dichotomy of like, I have complete control because I control my effort level. I just have to do this. And in a sense, out of control and that someone else is kind of dictating where this is going to go and having to have faith in that versus someone coming in right away, just winning and and maybe not being able to make that adjustment down the road, you know? Right. Right. That that I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I think that early success at something, um, I guess, really getting to a a place where you think you are successful at any point mm-hmm. the the biggest downside of that can be um i think it can really affect your creativity about how to keep progressing because it 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 has a it has like a a field narrowing effect for mm, your yeah. vision for what's next you know you, <clears throat> you just start thinking like okay let's do more of what I've already done because that is what made, that is what's made me successful. And, you know, like you can start to see that, that I see this all the time with athletes where they have like a million different pathways that they could improve on. But the only ones they can see are the ones where they're, you know, they're just like making the tiniest incremental changes and of course then they're thinking like oh is it really worth the effort to like push myself that much harder and make this tiny little difference when they have all sorts of things and i guess that's sort of been my experience was you know when i swam in college i i thought like that's it i've reached the limit 
you know, like I, uh, I, I had, I was somebody that never did doubles in high school. In fact, I didn't even swim. Uh, I didn't even do club swimming my junior, uh, half my junior year of high school or my senior year of high school. I trained by myself mostly year round. I did high school swimming. And, um, so when I got to college, that was the first time I ever did doubles in my life. And, you know, I thought like when I, especially the first two years where I, 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 my perception was I wasn't improving. Now that wasn't an accurate perception because what, what was happening was I wasn't getting time improvements in the one race that I based my entire ego of how good I was in, you know, so that, that was, that was an important piece of this story, but I wasn't, you know, in my opinion, I wasn't progressing at that time. And then I thought like, well, is it really worth it that I now I'm getting up in the morning three days a week? And I think my reflection on it as a 39 year old is I wasn't seeing that there were like so many other ways for me to improve than just find a way to swim some more. Right. And I was actually closing off from some of those opportunities because um, in order to, you know, get myself to come to those morning practices, especially after I had the perception that I wasn't improving, I was just plowing over myself. I was just like, well, you have to, you know, this isn't working. So train harder, like, you know, like just keep pushing past it. And I think when you grind past yourself too, that also has a field narrowing effect. Like you just can't imagine that you have any energy for anything else and you close yourself off from all sorts of possibilities. And, and what's, you talk about reinventing yourself. What I have experienced is I had that in college and then post-college, I got involved with um, flow swimming and that culminated in um, Garrett and I being accredited Garrett McCaffrey, um, my longtime friend now, um, being accredited media at the 2008 Olympic trials. That was the first national level swimming competition that I ever attended was the 2008 Olympic trials. And what happened to me watching that meet was <coughs> like, you know, like in the beginning, I was just like starstruck. I was like, Oh my God, all these people are incredible. These, these are incredible swimmers. Like, I, I can't wait. I'm so excited. And, you know, watching Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte. And then I was, you know, sitting in the prelims and I was watching some of the early heats and I went, you know, these guys have a lot of flaws. Like they're not perfect. They're not what I thought they were. You know, I probably could swim a lot faster than I thought I could. Like it was just even like a light bulb moment where I went like, this is not as hard as I've made it look in my mind as I visualized it. Not that I, you know, could picture myself making trials the next week, but the gap between what I thought about myself and what I was watching. And so I got back into competing and I won a best time when I was 25 years old. I was practicing, you know, versus if on the other end where I was doing doubles, I was I was swimming two or three times a week for 30 minutes. <laughs> and 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 yet the other things the, that I was doing, the other opportunities that I saw for improving, um, I was very into yoga at that time. So my flexibility was a lot better. My range of motion in a lot of things was a lot better. Um, in many ways, probably my strength was um, better. I was more focused in what I was doing. My motivation 
even to race was completely different versus like have to, have to, have to. And that feeling of like, Hey, I'm 25 years old. This is just something I want to do. Um, and I think all of that contributed to being able to um, go a best time. And then I degenerated on that strategy for several years. And then I tried to reinvent and it didn't go the way I thought it would. And then I stopped swimming for a little while. And now I'm in this period again, where I've found another path forward where I feel like, Hey, there's some progress for me to be made. Maybe it's not going to be necessarily time on the clock from when I was 19 years old, but there's some personal progress um, for me to keep, keep making. And there's all sorts of opportunities. Like there's all sorts of things that I wouldn't have even thought to do when I was 19, 20, 21 years old um, that I can try out now. And it's fun. It's fun to experiment in that stuff and try it. I think um, we're kind of like have two different things going on with this. One is I think there's the, the biology of it, of, of kind of like how we adapt, how we learn, how we pick up new skills and things like that. And the biggest thing is, is through frustration levels, is, is be able to get, get through that frustration. And that's something I remember, um, you know, years back with, with Bill Boomer, like sometimes asking, like, why? He, he would always use kind of the strangest phrases, I thought. And be like, and so p- people, like, when I was in those clinics and things like that, would always kind of want uh, basically like, a, like an interpreter. So we're going to interpret right. the things down. And when I first got there, I was like, oh, well, he means that. And then he's like, don't tell people what I mean. You know, and then I was like, you know, and he could be abrupt like that. I was like, geez, I didn't mean to, you know, obviously step on my toes. I'm not saying I'm anywhere as good as he is. The idea was that the, the words he was using were chosen very, very specifically for the idea of creating some frustration because frustration is what allows your, your brain to kind of rewire itself. We're, we're right. just, you know, we always get frustrated with our swimmers for like, you know, you know, kind of slouching, sitting down, kind of relaxing too much. that's the body's goal. The body is to save as much energy as possible for what might be needed later. Kind of the idea we haven't evolved that far from being a hunter and gatherer. Your body's still set up to save calories. And so it doesn't want to do any more than it does. And when it has to do more than it does, you get this frustration level all the way down to your stomach. And that frustration level is kind of your, your whole neural system just kind of rewiring a little bit and starting to adapt to create new concepts or also new, new patterns of learning or new, new physical patterns. So I think part of that is, is again, how do we get through that frustration? And then the second part that you're bringing up is also that motivation of like, how do we step back and look at the big picture? Because again, that's, that's something that we need to do where you step back and see the horizon of things and not see that moment where it gets too much, too overwhelming. And that kind of goes to my first thought of, what happens on your first swim or the first year or first month of experience, what pathway you're going to go down? Are you going to be able to evolve out of something? Are you going to end up being stuck with something? Or are you going to latch on to like, you know, crazy mysticism of, of what's making you better? You know, it's because I ate a PB&J and I tied my goggles this way and I put my suit on in this order. That's what, that's what made me feel faster versus, again, taking ownership of what it was it created. So I think from the biology aspect, I can – kind of point that out a little bit and then i want to know your the psychological answer to that i think part of it is is if you can get your swimmers to understand that frustration is part of the deal frustration is a good thing the more frustrated they are the more their body's rewiring and if we can just 
sit in that frustration a little bit, accept it, and then keep coming back to it. That that's how you're going to move forward for learning a new skill. Um, but as far as like, like you're saying again, outside the pool, how do you step back and get that big picture perspective when you're in it, when you're mired and you're like, I'm not seeing any progress. This is the fifth meet in a row. I've, I've actually gone slower. I feel tired all the time, whatever it might be. So not saying this is an overtraining thing, saying from the, the, the positive mental aspect side of it, how do you step back and look at the big picture? Yeah. So I, 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 I love what you're saying about frustration because I think we have moments on this podcast where, as you say, you know, your, your background for explaining what going on has to do with biology. And I'm always trying to, you know, uh, think up from psychology. And when, when something just makes sense to both of us, then I know that those are the moments of serendipity and that stuff that you're talking about with frustration, um, one of the points that I uh, often get to in coaching or when I'm working with teams is moments of frustration. Those are actually like those. I think those are psychologically designed for the purpose that you described. They mm -hmm. are designed to change our direction. Like they are the biggest opportunity. It gives you urgency because when you're frustrated, Right. You're just thinking like this sucks and I don't ever want this to happen again. Mm -hmm. And you have so much like, as I say, urgency and motivation to do something different in that moment. Now, you're right. The problem with that is if you only link the frustration to the, the, the change you're trying to affect that that urgency from the frustration it is just not sustainable over the period of time that you actually need to keep working on changing that thing. And so the trap a lot of people get stuck in, as you say, is that they, they get to that frustration point and then they feel some urgency, but you know, they don't actually sustain the change in pathway because it's a completely different system for sustaining mm -hmm. it versus starting it. So like the frustration is there to start the change, but in order to maintain change, you actually have to be able to see what, like what the outcome is on the other end. You have to have a, a, a healthy, like rich visualization of what the goal is on the other side and be able to actually get yourself excited and hopeful about that thing. Because I, what I see with a lot of people is, yeah, they, they get to that frustration. They have a sense that it's helping them to change. And then when they seek to motivate themselves to sustain that change, they go back to the frustration. But it's like, it's like any other thing. It's like, um, it's like if your coach, <laughs> you know, everybody probably has um, a vivid memory of their coach getting mad at them. I don't care who you are. Like you've had a coach, a coach that you really liked. Um, a coach that you really respected that, you know, got, got mad at you. Right. But I can guarantee you the coach that you have a really vivid memory and, and, and strong connection to in your life wasn't chronically mad at you in that way every day, mm -hmm. because yeah. it wouldn't have been worried. And eventually you'd be like, you just tune it out and you go like, 
screw this asshole. Like, I don't want to hear from him anymore. But people do that to themselves, right? They just go like, not, you're not doing it. You're not doing it. You're not doing it. You're not doing it yet. And they actually end up tuning out themselves. Whereas like a good coach, you know, yeah, like they're going to have moments that are just like, hey, what are you doing? (laughs) Right. Where they, they just like, you know, they just stop you on whatever path that you're, that you're on. But in between that, then they start to say like, hey, this is the way you get to where you want to go. And this is where you want to go. Right. You know, like they can visualize where it is you want to go. And through working with them, then you start to visualize where it is you want to go. And that's what sustains you over the long period of time um, working on stuff. I think, um, yeah, so kind of sifting through a little bit, if we're just taking taking bullet points here, I think first one would be, again, acknowledging frustration is part of the process, you know, and and getting the the kids to understand that and believe in that. And, and, and again, part of it is always like how we view things. You know, uh, if we view frustration as a bad thing, if we view stress as a bad thing, then that's exactly what it is. If we view it as a good thing, then, then that's what it becomes as well. Second thing is like that, the coaching, the, the voice on the outside versus the voice on the inside, getting them to um, start to think. I remember just bringing this up to the team all the time, finally getting the, the kids to get around the idea of supporting one another, you know, in practice, et cetera, being more positive, being more vocal about it. But then the next step I thought was telling them that whatever voice that they're saying for their teammates, that should be their inner voice too. Because I've always read, again, that we're all, the, the voice we hear in our head is always much harsher than a coach ever would be or a teammate ever would be. You know, we, we would never say out loud the things that we think about ourselves in a practice. Like, I just failed at this. I can't believe how bad I did at this. Getting the idea yeah. of just like um, setting up small incremental things of like take a moment to, in a sense, be positive yourself. You know, it doesn't have to be obviously verbal <laughs> because then it sounds ridiculous. Um, but but internally saying, saying the positive things and starting to believe that. And if they have trouble backing that up, the nice thing about something is, is here's, the, here's the evidence, here's the data, here's, here's what you've done over this time. And whether it's yeah. like just even again, if, if they've already in a sense pinnacled and they're not able to get faster times because of time constraints, things like that, being able to look at the things that they've done well and keep on doing that and look at how far they've come and, and kind of understanding that, longevity in the sport is also something to be praised and, and, and acknowledged. I think too many times that we're, we're always looking for the best time, the end of the season and everything else is a wash. If you didn't have the best time, there's a lost season. If you didn't have a, a great meet, there's a lost meet. And <clears throat> kind of the idea that you're, you're still in the sport. And, and that's what I think would help me in a sense was one of the first jobs I had was at a, with a population that was, I wouldn't say high risk, but, but they definitely had a lot of, opportunities available to themselves are very unhealthy. And so with right. that, I would also, I always think, you know what, they came to practice day. 10 minutes late, they came. You know, we, we can talk to them about, you know, if you can get here a little earlier, that'd be awesome, but I'm really glad you right. came. That kind of thing. Again, starting to go, think about, there's a lot of negative outcomes. There's a lot of positive that are going on here. And, and every now and then take that moment to do that without diminishing what you do as a coach, as far as like trying to push, trying to press that button to kind of get them moving more. But again, like we've said in the past, it doesn't have to be a negative button. It doesn't have to be that yelling or, like you said, punching or fist, you know, the, the head against the wall kind of thing. It's you're doing a lot. We're doing okay. I know you can do a little bit more. 
that, that kind of thing where, where we get not living in too open-ended, obviously, where they're always like, you know, never stop to smell the roses. But the idea, again, and I think this ties in with what you're saying about what brings you back to the sport is the idea that like, it, it's okay to not have a best time, you know, because right. what, what's, what's really good is the fact that you're back in and you're, and you're doing it and you're around other people. And that's the thing is I think as we step back, as we become more mature, I know I'm not going to get best times, you know, that, that, that's, that's going to, that it ends, it ended a while ago, <clears throat> but I can make it, you know, best time this century, you know, best time this decade, um, best time in this age or, or even weight class for us. Um, but the right. idea again is, is that again, we, we try to find the things that are positive. And as a, and when we step back as, as coaches, we find the things that are positive in this moment. Um, again, not diminishing that they keep pushing, not diminishing that they, they back off or something like that but acknowledging what they've done positively and, and trying to keep going with that, that Avenue again, where you're, you're looking at the things that you have control over and, and you control those things and not in a sense, altering the reward at the end though, either uh, that yeah. the intrinsic reward. Yeah. I mean, I, I was talking to you, you made me think again, I was the same person that I was talking to yesterday about um, the podcast. We got into a whole nother conversation about, you know, like, um, if you as a parent, you know, if your goal at the end of, for instance, maybe your high school summer's career, like, ends up being like, you know, what scholarship they get to swim at a Division One university, you would have been way better off taking all the money that yes uh, you invested in their swimming career, right, right. put it in a put it in a CD, you know, and collect interest, and then put that towards their college tuition when they get there, like. It's, but that's not what you're paying for. It, the, the results are not what you're paying for. You're paying for the process of getting results. Like results are a, they're a side effect of the true value of what the sport is. And you're right. Like the piece of this longevity and, and the frustration and all that, sometimes there's value in learning to just be patient and wait and, and, think and you know like the 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 opportunity that's not obvious to you in this moment as you're just trying to grind for another best time mm -hmm. it'll come right like and you'll see it and they're there it's it's not too late it won't be too late when you get it i'll say that as somebody um who i mean i went in my in my meet i went faster in something than i did in college now I can do all the comparisons. Oh, I never swam it, you know, tapered this, that, and the other thing. There was an opportunity there for me. I'll take it. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll run it all the way to the bank. So, you know, at even, even 20 years later, like it's not quite over for me and there'll be other opportunities for me, even after that window really actually fully closes. Like there'll just be other things. Um, you know, I'm, I'm off, uh, doing some stuff in the weight room. I've never tracked anything that I've done over there. So just paying attention to the progress that I'm making there, like that, that gives me goals that give me something to work on. And at the end of the day, I'm just trying to be better than I was before. And at some point it'll be become about staying as close to as good as I've ever been <laughs> as I can. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of preparing for that. And I, I think that's, you know, 
I don't expect that a lot, like that a, that a 17 year old listening to this will be like, wow, I can't wait to stay in the sport of swimming so that someday I can try to stay as close yeah. to my best times as I can. <clears throat> like, I know that's not an appealing message, but I guess what I would say is when, if you can get to that at some point, there's going to be a whole new world of what this sport is about for you and, and the experience that you have doing it. Um, and there's going to be a whole new <coughs> set of, of things that you can find that are motivating that, um, that make it fun to do this. I think like exactly. So my question of how do we step back, I think is is kind of like going through that that list a little bit of things that you enjoy about the sport, and or like for me, uh, you know, thinking about the things I I miss about the sport, it never had anything to do with I miss getting a best time. You know, I miss getting this. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I miss being in a locker room. I miss competing. I miss you know the locker room just hanging out with the guys after a meet, hanging out with with, yeah, with friends on a that kind of thing. Those are the things I miss. And so kind of tying that in with what you said about that investment idea, too many times you hear about, you know, I want my son or daughter to get into this college. I think an extracurricular activity, I think this, 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 they're looking again, like they're putting money towards that. And that's like you said, money that you're not going to get back. That's, that's money that's lost. Um, I look at it from, from my perspective, just seeing all these kids that I've coached and knowing them as a person, it's, <clears throat> what they're getting is invaluable. Like I, I would tell parents all this time, like your son or daughter has an opportunity to hang out with some of the best people I've ever met in my life. That's, that's without value. You know what? You, you should be just, here's a blank check. That's how I look at it. Like my son is off to a, uh, something he really enjoys doing. It's around a lot of really good kids and with someone that really cares about them. Here's the checkbook, fill in what you need, you know, ba- basically because it's, it's priceless to right. me in that regard. It has nothing to do with, him getting into Stanford or Harvard or whatever. It has everything to like, I want to be a good person. And, and that's part of being, you know, growing up around athletics. A lot of my friends are athletes. Friends would ask like, you know, what do you want your son to be? You know, thinking like football. That's when I'm like, I just want him to not be a jerk. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the only, that's the only thing. He's like, I hope he doesn't follow down my pathway and become a jerk. That, that's all I want for my son. And, and right. so the same thing here though, is like being able to step back and identifying, was it really going 431 and a 500. Was that really what made you feel good? It's like, no, it was actually that you worked hard towards the goal. I mean, 431 or wherever, it's pretty arbitrary. It's, it's very arbitrary in, in the grand scheme of things, a time because it means nothing to anyone else in the world outside of a handful of other swimmers. What, what, what means something is that you, you worked hard towards something and you got that goal and you, you overcame some things. What means something is like all your teammates gathering around you when you got your best time. You know, those yeah. are the things that mean something. So to be able to kind of if you can kind of make that list, I guarantee that the end result usually was not kind of the number one thing when you look back on it. And so I look as a coach, kind of the idea of I'm going to coach up my athletes with the idea that this is what we have. And I think that ends up making it a bigger, uh, a bigger picture kind of a thing where you can kind of step back and, and see the whole horizon. The idea, again, that it's not the end point. It's not the end of the season. It's these bus rides. It's that time when you're in the dining hall together. It's hanging out afterwards. It's all these people you've gotten to know because of this sport. And that's what develops you as a person, not the, the time. You know, the, yeah. the time didn't make you a good person in the end. 
it see, still yeah. made me a jerk, even though I might have gotten my best times. <laughs> yeah, you, you're making me think one of the things that I, I, I saw posted by one of my positive psychology colleagues um, was a quote from Michael J. Fox, um, who I brought up to somebody that I was coaching, and I realized that no teenagers have any idea who Michael J. Fox is. But anyway, <laughs> um, as I was reading this quote, you know, he said he said something to the effect of basically – uh, if you think you don't have anything to be grateful for, look again. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that if, if you're looking at the sport and you don't understand why you love it, but you're practicing nine times a week and you're putting your life and energy into it, look harder. Because yeah. I, 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 can, I do not believe that the reason why you love the sport is just to go best times at, on Saturday on the weekend. There is more there that, that, that maybe you're not, um, you're not fully realizing in that moment and the process of looking for it and the process of assembling that list and thinking about the other things that you love about the sport of swimming. Um, yeah. A side effect of that probably will be that you're going to do better, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. but it, it won't be the point, but you know, if your focus is on um, on getting another best time so you can feel good about the fact that you're doing the sport of swimming, then it's going to become way harder to do that, right? And and so assembling that piece of it. Um, and I guess I'll leave it at this. I uh, Summer league season has started up here in South Jersey. So now I'm I'm transitioning to being a swim parent again. And it's funny, like, you know, my daughter, I think, is mirroring my own experience um, both summers, she's sort of gone a little bit. She's been a little bit shy about joining the team because she she has a sense like that she's not as you know she's not one of the best swimmers competitively. Um, um, this this team they had A and B meets last year, so they have the best kids at the, all the A meets. She's primarily swimming at the B meets all year, and now she's a year older. She's nine years old. She's in a group of nine to twelve year olds, so she's in the outside lane. And I'm sitting at practice watching it. But what I realized, because I was having this emotional experience, what made me really happy watching her swim was just that I knew for her, like it's a 25 meter pool, swimming one end to the other is hard. It is hard work. And I was just watching her push off the wall, swim to the other end, put a hand on the wall, eyes up at the coach. And I was like, this is worth it. This is like, this is all I want, you know, is, is for my kid to work hard at something and to want to get better. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, uh, and, and I, it really I, doesn't I, matter what the endeavor is, you know, cause no. in the end that's a hundred percent. It doesn't need to makes, be swimming. And, and I look at like, um, ever seen like uh, cup stacking, <laughs> you know, like they have yeah. competitive cup stacking. Uh, they've got competitive Rubik's cubes and like, and so to this small little audience just thinks that's the world's biggest thing or for your son or daughter to think that that's the biggest thing. That's all that matters. And I think kind of, again, the, the, the take home I would, I would get from this as a coach is, is thinking like whatever that first experience is that this athlete has, it's not your experience. It's their experience and that you have to set up that Avenue where it's down the line that they are going to be, resilient in that they believe in themselves to overcome whatever the obstacle is that they're doing 
so that you have that basic template that that goes into swimming. And then we always say that this relates to life calling into that, like you've done X, Y, and Z. Therefore you can do these things completely different, but the same thing. And like, you understand that you're at the bottom of the ladder, you're working your way up or you're at the top of the ladder and you're already just doing everything you can to get even farther and make that your own reward like that. And those endeavors that we keep on pursuing like that, again, no matter how, small it might be to the outside world it's a very big thing to them or like you said the 25 meter pool i remember we used to hold a meet um there wasn't a lot of law course meter opportunities in wisconsin because you know you only have two weeks of summer the ice finally you know <laughs> so the ice finally melted and then we get to have a 50 meter swim and then it freezes back up again and some of these new swimmers this is their first meet and it's so all of a sudden you know i'm looking at a 50 meter swim they're looking at they're swimming across an ocean or a lake. And so yeah. again, my vision of, of whatever this swim is, whatever distance is, it might be a sprint in my eyes. This is a endurance death march for them and, and acknowledging that and, and being able to be as a coach plastic enough that you can go between all these athletes, you know, the elite athlete who's been there, done this, this is a beginning of the season meet. What is this in the grand scheme of things for me versus this new swimmer? This is their first experience with it. And them and, and being able to kind of understand that obviously what they're going to get out of this is very different, but the, the, the very core of it is the very much the same that they have to find something in there that's enjoyable, something in there that that's, it doesn't, and again, enjoyable doesn't mean like, you know, throwing kickboards, having fun like that. Enjoyable as in like testing themselves, progressing themselves, whether it's just the mental toughness of, of getting up and racing when there's no one else around or mental toughness for when it's a huge ocean swim of 50 meters. Yeah. Well, just in the same way, Joel, that um, you talk about providing an adaptable experience for the people that you coach, um, the Magic Five, they make custom fit goggles that are shockingly affordable. Um, if you go to themagicfive.com slash the swim brief, you can buy a goggle that, is you know that takes a scan of your face it's custom built for your face joel and i both have them we love them and um you can get a discount um and yeah they're they're awesome so go to the magic5.com slash swim brief pick up a pair of goggles you'll also support this podcast you'll support joel getting better um joel thanks for sticking it out this week yeah of course uh, toughing through a big big piece of that podcast no i think i think you talked more than um than i predicted you just couldn't resist once we got into the topic <laughs> yeah um, yeah yeah <laughs> but i really appreciate it um and i know the audience does as well at least at least the audience member that i spoke to yesterday and um thank you to everybody else also for listening and uh we'll be back again with you next week all right thanks a lot <laughs>